Section two of the Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter one Retrospect and Prospect. Part two. The condition of Rome was very different from that of the rest of Italy. The pontiffs of the fourteenth and fifteenth centuries were employed not so much in attempting to acquire an empire over the consciences of men or a general influence over the sovereigns of europe as in forming and consolidating their own temporal power during the residence of the popes at avignon which is known as the babylonish captivity that power was reduced to very small dimensions rome was a free state and the orsini colonna and the governors of vico were independent sovereigns cardinal albanoth as the regent of innocent the sixth succeeded in building up a new dominion with the help of the petty tyrants of the cities of central italy and popes urban v and gregory the eleventh followed the same course the schism which divided the church prevented the establishment of order this confusion of authorities was put an end to by the council of constance which in fourteen seventeen deposed the three existing popes and elected odo colonna who took the name of Martin V. From his election, a new period began. The popes became more and more absorbed in purely temporal interests, and the papal court reached a depth of abasement unequalled by that of any court in Italy. Martin V was the best pope of his age. He entered Rome in 1420 and founded a nest of beggars and brigands before his death in fourteen thirty one he had reduced the city and the campagna to something like order and security and deserved the title which he obtained of temporum suorum felicitas but this success was obtained by means which were not without their disgrace he shamelessly favoured the family of the colonna and he supported in turn each of the claimants to the crown of naples he was brought back to rome by joanna the second but he transferred his support to her enemy louis of anjou and afterwards to his conqueror alfonso of aragon the successor of martin v eugenius the fourth had a stormy reign driven out of rome in fourteen thirty four he took refuge in florence and sent vitaleschi archbishop of florence and patriarch of alexandria to execute his vengeance by measures of the greatest cruelty the city was reduced to obedience and eugenius lived in it peaceably for three years before his death in fourteen forty seven his successor nicholas v forms a striking contrast he was entirely devoted to literature he employed the revenues of the papacy in the collection of ancient manuscripts and made rome a great centre for literary men with the finest library in the world he laboured to make rome superior to florence in beauty as well as learning and he commenced those great works of building which were continued by julius the second and leo the tenth nicholas died in fourteen fifty five and was succeeded by calixtus the third a spaniard of the family of borgia the creature of alfonso of aragon he reigned only three years but the first of the borgias gave a foretaste of the miseries which that name was afterwards to inflict he filled the city with spaniards and thought of nothing but amassing money and enriching his nephews one of whom was the notorious alexander the sixth aeneas silvius piccolomini who became pope 
under the name of Pius II, was a worthy successor to Nicholas. He was one of the most striking characters of the age and was devoted to erudition. He employed the authority of the papal throne to stimulate a crusade against the Turks and wrote a letter to convert the Sultan Mohammed II. He died at Ancona in 1414, his eyes fixed toward the east, longing to commence the enterprise for which he had labored so long and believing that it would be effected by his successors. Paul II, whose papacy lasted seven years, was an enemy of learning, but was not destitute of merit. He repressed brigandage with a severe hand, was a stern maintainer of discipline, and reformed the practices of the Roman court. The next three popes, Sixtus IV, Innocent VIII, and Alexander VI, occupy the saddest period in the papal history the first was a violent tyrant without scruples and without shame his nephews the riario exhibited an abandonment of dissoluteness which could afterwards scarcely be improved upon by cesare borgia sixtus the fourth is believed to have formed the conspiracy of the pazzi in order to obtain the money of the medici in politics he was a faithless traitor he took the side first of the venetians against the neapolitans and then of the Neapolitans against the Venetians. It is said that he died at the news of the siege of Bagnolo in 1484. Nulla vis patuit extingere sextum, audito tantum nomine pacis obit. No war could quell Pope Sextus's cruel pride. The name of peace was whispered, and he died. After his death, the papal see was sold to the highest bidder. This was Cardinal Cibo, who chose the name of Innocent VIII. By taking the side of Anjou against Aragon, he threw all Italy into confusion, and peace was with difficulty secured. In Rome, all offenses could be compensated for by fines, which went to swell the possessions of his son Francesco. Innocent VIII was the first pope who openly acknowledged his children. He married his son to the daughter of Lorenzo de' Medici, and made her brother cardinal at the age of fourteen. His sons and nephews openly led the most scandalous lives. Franceschetto Cibo lost 14,000 florins one night gambling with the cardinal Riario. False bulls were sold and indulgences to secure pardon to assassins. Every night the dead bodies found in the streets were thrown into the Tiber. When Innocent VIII died in 1492, it seemed impossible that the world would see a more abandoned pontiff, but a worse pope arose in the person of Alexander VI. The history of Naples during this period is a monotonous narrative of confusion and disorder. The glory of the southern kingdom ends with the deaths of Manfred and Conradin. The rule of the Angevin dynasty was fatal to the prosperity of the country. The kingdom reached the extremity of anarchy under Joanna I., who married four husbands in succession. Her cousin, Ladislav, had subdued the barons, conquered his internal enemies, obtained authority over Rome, and was marching northwards with a large army aspiring to become king of Italy when he died of poison at Perugia in 1414. His sister, Joanna II, was a viler and more worthless repetition of her predecessor of the same name. Martin V, by whom she had been crowned in 1419, incited in the following year 
Louis III of Anjou, to contend against her worthless favourites. She in turn proclaimed Alfonso of Aragon as her successor, whom she afterwards deserted for René of Lorraine. After long and ruinous wars, peace was secured by the entrance of Alfonso into Naples on June 2, 1442, and the establishment of the dynasty of Aragon. Alfonso died in 1458 and left his hereditary dominions, Spain, Sicily, and Sardinia, to his brother. Naples, the fruit of conquest, to his natural son, Ferdinand, who is generally known as Ferrante. The Pope did not allow him to enjoy his kingdom without dispute. Pope Calixtus claimed Naples as a papal fee. The Angevin barons rose in arms. René of Lorraine disembarked on the western coast. Ferrante spent six years in establishing his power. He maintained it by cunning and astute diplomacy. He was able to contend against external enemies, but he could not resist the onslaught of King Charles VIII of France. Ferrante, as an old man, saw the significance of the storm, and urged the powers of Italy to unite against the common danger. He died in 1494 with this prophetic entreaty on his lips. The long drama which we have described was a prelude to the coming disaster. The condition of the smaller states of Italy, Ferrara, Faenza, Rimini, and Urbino, was as deplorable as that of the larger we find the same strange contrast between a high degree of literary culture and enthusiasm and the deepest political degradation it has been said that italy at this time was not worse than the rest of europe that louis the eleventh was a monster of cruelty and deceit and that ferdinand of aragon was notorious for duplicity and cunning it might be answered that these sovereigns were at least striving toward a great end each of them wrought after his own manner the unity of his country, whereas the crimes of Italy led only to her disunion and insignificance. But Italy could not have been all bad. Had the corruption of her rulers spread throughout the people, her case would have been hopeless, her future impossible. Venice and Turin still preserved some remains of morality and virtue, and there is no reason to suppose that the great mass of the people had deserted the better ways of their fathers. If power was concentrated in few hands, so also was the crime and the extravagance which accompanied power. We have now traced the course of the five principal Italian states down to the time when they were about to be absorbed under the pressure of a common tyranny. We make a halt at the pontificate of Alexander the Sixth and the expedition of Charles the Eighth. The greater part of this book will be consecrated to the narration in detail of the events which we have here attempted to convey in a bird's eye view. End of section two.